on maynard.com.au. Hey, you! I've got my computer running, doesn't it? And talking to me. Um, oh, good. Oh, that's... No, it's not that. It's shut down. Yes, thank God. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, on the phone, I have the author of The Modern Australian Usage, a practical guide for writers and editors, Nick Hudson. How are you, Nick? I'm fine, thank you. There's a lot of Nick Hudsons. There's a very famous rower. There's a very famous bagpiper who's got the same name as you. Yes, indeed. Yes, you have to sort it out if you're going into Google. What triggered your fascination with the English language and specifically the Australian English language? I guess I was born speaking it, you see. Therefore, I'm very interested in it. And I, at uh, age 25, I moved from Britain to Australia. And so I've spent all my adult life as a book editor, editing Australian texts. And so I'm fascinated by Australian English. And I address in the first instance in this book the problems which Australian writers may run into. It's sold as a practical guide for writers and editors, but you do mention in it that you do consider yourself an amateur. Well, yeah, I mean, a professional is almost certainly on a university staff, and I don't belong on a university staff. I'm not very good at it. Pedant. Pedant and purist on page 296 is worth a look. Both of these words mean a person who comments on linguistic niceties which others find boring. The difference is that you are a pedant where I am a purist. Yes, yes, that's right. Do you actually have to stop yourself from correcting people? Not at all. That's what pedants do, you see. I'm a purist. I can keep it to myself. So what do you like at Scrabble? Uh, not bad, actually. Do you get anyone to actually play with you, or they go, oh, not him, oh, not yes, Nick, don't yes. play with Nick? But then you see, Scrabble is not really a matter of knowing all the words. It's a matter of strategy in noticing where the triple letter scores are and making sure that the W's on the triple letter score scored twice. Those of us that are playing words for friends and Scrabble, what's a great word to grab in Scrabble that not many people think of that's a good one? The one that is played almost every game would be QI, isn't it? And you can actually use that. I did not know that was a word. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Have you not got a list of the Scrabble-approved two-letter words? No, I guess I should get one. Oh, you should get that. Without (laughs) that, I would be nothing. I'd play on my phone, and the phone has a built-in dictionary on it. And it tells you, it, I mean, it has the two-letter words all, um, all displayed because they are so important if you're uh, running a one word alongside another to know which two-letter words are acceptable is vital. This book is a practical guide for editors. What kind of people seek to become editors? I don't know. In a sense, I became one accidentally when I discovered I wasn't in the market for um, being a reporter. At one stage, I had an ambition to be the uh, parliamentary reporter for Punch, but that uh, died, and I got an offer as a job in publishing and grabbed it. Then I discovered that I enjoyed it enormously, but I've been doing it now for 60 years, best part of. I've never been a very good writer myself, but even I lament the disappearance of the sub-editor. Yes, I find it 
unbelievable that our newspapers believe that sub-editing can be done in New Zealand or the Philippines or India or whatever. It seems to me that the sub-editor should be working closely with the person who wrote the original. Well, because it's a great way of learning. Well, absolutely, yes. Can you actually write that you couldn't care less? I think you can just about. It depends on the sentence. To me, the whole point about sub-editing is not just a matter of correcting grammar and spelling. Sub-editing, or editing, in fact, is a matter of making sure that the reader gets the message that the author had intended. Now, the author thinks that what they've written is perfectly, perfectly clear, unambiguous, and the reader has a slightly different vocabulary and sense and may misunderstand it. The editor should be the person who stands between the two and warns the author if the message will not get through to the reader. That is a vital, vital task, but it's one that is best done by an editor who has immediate access to the author. Otherwise, the editor is liable to change it wrong. Know that there's something wrong, but make a, a correction which is also wrong. Obviously, one sees various things in newspapers that one objects to. This happens particularly in books. The long argument about something, and the author has either left out a stage in the argument regarding it as self-evident, alternatively, labored a point which was obvious and therefore become boring. Here's an example which is in a way right, I heard a news broadcast in which the newsreader said so-and-so has had a quarrel with his club but has resigned. And then he stopped for a moment. He said, oh, no, sorry, that should be re-signed. Now, those two words, if you leave out hyphen, they're the same word, and they mean diametrically opposite things. I would say that the person who wrote that should have put a hyphen in to show that what they meant was re-signed. The person who wrote it thought it was perfectly obvious that it was re-signed and didn't bother to hyphenate it. The editor would notice that that error could occur and would have warned the author and put in the hyphen. This leads us to page 401, where you have the entry for tautology with the great example of, I got up at 3am in the morning. Yes. You hear that all the time. Indeed. I don't get too upset about that because it's not causing misunderstanding. It's unnecessary and people who say we should use as few words as possible will get upset by it. But at least they aren't getting the message wrong. What seems to be the current battleground as far as certain words are in the Australian language at the moment? Is there a word that you see coming up again recently that people seem to be arguing about the spelling of or the Americanization of? A, a word which has, in the past 20 years, come in and changed its meaning totally, if you want an example of that, it is forensic, which, if you look in all the dictionaries until very recent ones, it meant apropos the courts. So forensic skills were the skills of a barrister, oratory and so on. Then forensic science was science applied to the courts, which was shortened down to forensic, meaning scientific. And so you, your police departments have forensic departments which are full not of barristers but of scientists. 
And if somebody said he has got good forensic skills nowadays, they would mean he's a scientist. I think nine people out of ten would believe that. If nine people out of ten believe it, that's what it, it means now. And our dictionaries, all our dictionaries up to about ten years ago, are wrong. What about the word discriminate? Now it has an evil content, but if I go to my wardrobe and I choose, if I just discriminate amongst the shirts to wear, am I discriminating against the shirts that I don't wear? <laughs> yes, I suppose you are, if you like. If we say he's a discriminating person, it still is a good thing, I think, still be positive. But I agree that if so-and-so discriminates, it's normally a nasty thing to do. It still can be used in a positive way or in a neutral way. I mean, if you're discriminating about your choice of shirts, you're not really being terribly clever. You're just using a little bit of discretion. How do you feel about the American imperialism of our language? Do you feel particularly strongly about that? I don't see that it's something to get terribly worked up about because it just happens to languages if they're used by a lot of people. It goes off in weird directions. I mean, American is very, very sensible compared with Scottish English, as displayed by, uh, you know, uh, Scots Wahai. American spelling was more or less invented by Noah Webster, who strongly believed that simpler spelling would be a good idea. So they wandered off in that direction. I think most of those things were very sensible. For example, the uh, change of the O-U-R endings to O-R in words like rigor. That is very sensible. Etymologically, it's better than ours because it goes straight back to the original Latin rather than getting corrupted by transmission to French. What do you think of the Australian naming... Uh it's almost a style guide for people working in sport to have their name ending in, um, I guess, a Y or an IA. There's Davo, Dicko, Jono. What do you think that's all about? This is uh, Australian slang usage or colloquial usage. All sorts of words get an O on the end of them. I mean, now we have, I understand, I haven't heard it myself except discussed, um, a gatho rather than a gathering. Really? I'm happy that you haven't heard it either. It makes me feel slightly less out of date. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me or shock me terribly. I guess nothing would in language these days, would it? What I'm concerned with is communication. If you get your message over right, then basically everything's all right. What you want to guard against is being misunderstood either because you're using words in an unusual way or your grammar is unusual. That saves you from an awful lot of anguish because some people seem to feel that the new way of talking represents the end of civilization as we know it. And they get terribly upset and they phone up the radio stations to complain. I find I think it's just rather sad because we've got enough to worry about without worrying about the state of the language. No, On the other hand, if there is a misunderstanding, like in that case where I said resign and resign, if there is a misunderstanding, then that is a critical point and we've got to jump on it and we've got to do something to make sure that that misunderstanding doesn't arise. Do you have any other favourite languages? Uh, obviously English is your love, but do you find you get excited by other languages, like emotive languages like Spanish? The language I know best 
is German, because I lived in Germany for six months, I would say that the French have a good word for this, uh, or the Germans have a good way of saying this. One of the things I hear continually is that the German word, is it schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. That we don't have a word for that in English, but we do. It's called epicaricacy. Is that correct? <laughs> well, I've heard of the German words. I haven't heard of the English word. I prefer to talk German if we have to use one word for it. It's a pleasure at somebody else's discomfort. Epicaricacy is the English well, word for it. Wish you the best of luck. The problem <laughs> with it is that whereas if you use Schadenfreude in German, everybody understands, if you use epicaricacy or whatever you said, in English, no one will understand. Well, I won't understand for a start. And I'm, I'm everybody in this. <laughs> That's true. I'm an editor. I, I know exactly what will be understood by everybody. The book is a practical guide for writers and editors. Nicholas Hudson, Modern Australian Usage. There's lots of good examples in there. There's also some great copyright advice and some great legal advice in there as well as a good starting point. What do you think should be the one thing when we're sitting down to write something that we should have in our mind so we don't need someone like you, an editor, going, oh, dear, dear? You have to imagine your reader and you have to watch his brow. And if it becomes furrowed because he hasn't understood what you've written, then you should look again. You should be thinking of your reader all the time. That is, of course, if you're wanting to communicate. If you're just wanting to hit him over the head with long words, then the longer words you use the better communication. I love the book, and if anyone doesn't like this book, I couldn't care less. <laughs> Good for you. Learn your homophone says pass to 
sentence to always say to whom, don't ever say to who. And listen up when I tell you this. I hope you never use quotation marks for emphasis. You finished second grade, I hope you can tell if you're doing good or doing well. Better figure out the difference. Irony is not coincidence. And I thought that you'd gotten it through your skull, but what's figurative and what's literal? Oh, but just now, just now, you said you, said, you literally couldn't get out of bed. What? That really makes me want to literally smack a crowbar like your stupid head. Hey you! 